Welcome to a new episode of the Living Fuel Podcast. I'm your host, Manoli. And I'm Nicole. Now, let's get into the good stuff. We have brought back the sleep doctor. He's here for a part two of our conversation to talk all things sleep. Dr. Bruce is a clinical psychologist with over 25 years of experience in the world of sleep. If you have any issues sleeping or just want to learn more about optimizing your snooze, grab a pen and paper and let's get started. We are back with the amazing sleep doctor per everyone's requests. How are you today? Thanks for coming on. I'm excellent. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited that your fans and listeners uh, wanted to hear more about sleep. So it's an honor to be back here uh, and hanging out with you guys. Speaking of sleep, my sleep has been so bad the past week, probably the worst sleep of my life. So this is a great time to talk about it. I had I will a do septo- an intervention on you right right now. <laughs> well, mine's pretty easy to fix. I had a septoplasty last week, so I was breathing through my mouth for a right. full week because my nose was stuffed with stints. Yep. And I think I hated it, but Nicole might have hated it more because it was the first time she heard me snore. And apparently I wrecked her sleep too. So it's a two for one. <laughs> for any listeners who have husbands or partners that are snorers, yep. I give you so much credit because <laughs> I had some sleepless nights as well. So And listen to our last episode because you gave us some good tips on snoring and how to fix yep. it with the nasal dilators, which I've used uh-huh. before. Those things help. And wow, it just... I'm I'm typically a nasal breather. So when I was right. mouth breathing for that week, I just felt out of breath. I noticed I was waking mm-hmm. up so many times in the middle of the night. So if anyone out there is, is snoring and breathing through their mouth when they sleep, like you got to address that. Listen to episode five because we gave some good tips on that. Um, and it's a game changer. So uh, hopefully starting tonight, I'll get some good sleep. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the big things I tell people all the time is you have to decongest for better rest. Right. And so when you've got all that packing from your septoplasty and the stents in there, that is the very definition of congestion. (laughs) You know, you've got all that junk jammed up your nose. By the way, your nose looks good. Thank Um, you. Thank you. Yep. And so, I mean, at the end of the day, noses are meant for breathing and mouths were meant for eating. Right. That's kind of what I tell people. Believe it or not, 94% of people naturally close their mouths when they sleep, but 6% of people don't. And man, it can cause some pretty significant problems, not just snoring, but also uh, dental and gum disease mm. is much more frequent. Dental health turns out to be a big deal. A lot of people don't know this, but your gums, um, the health of your gums is directly related to the health of your heart. So um, yeah, so a lot of people end up with gum uh, bacteria that ends up in their bloodstream and then can affect their heart. So it's not just oh, it's an annoying, my bed partner is snoring or sleeping with their mouth open. This could actually lead to some pretty significant things. And of course, my big question that I always ask people is if somebody's mouth breathing, um, could they possibly have sleep apnea, right? And so for folks out there who might not remember what sleep apnea is, that's a situation where your throat closes in the middle of the night. So when you're breathing and your mouth is open, you suck your tongue backwards and it just has to go a couple of millimeters and boom, it cuts off your air. So that's another thing that you have to really think about is not just the noise factor, which Nicole, I can appreciate it's pretty damn annoying. Um, But at the end of it all is also health, right? And so when somebody is snoring, that means they're not actually breathing properly. So any snore that you hear is, is disrupted breathing. Some of it's more important than others, 
But as you can tell, hopefully you'll get back to a better night's rest. Yeah. You have to kick him out of the bedroom. Yeah. I was getting out. close to sleep. I actually did sleep on the couch for a few hours on a couple of nights because I just was restless. Yeah. Um, he got yeah. his he got his stints out a few hours ago. So he's in, yeah. He's these are my man. first few hours breathing correctly through my nose. And I just remember walking out of the doctor's office and smelling the grass for the first time. And I yeah. was like, damn, I'll I never, missed that. I, I really did miss that. To- yeah, that's awesome. And people don't know, but our most uh, our deepest sense is our sense of smell. Your mm-hmm. olfactory, it's the oldest sense. Um, and it's the one that has a lot of emotional content and meaning to it. So, yeah, it's true. When you smell like, you know, a tomato soup and it reminds you of something your mom or your grandmother used to yep. make. Right. It's it brings you back to those memories pretty quickly. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think the first topic I'd love to get your take on is our sleep Mm -hmm. environment. We coach a lot of people. We, you know, Mm -hmm. try to have a pretty clean sleep environment from the perspective of light, EMFs, distractions, phones. Mm -hmm. Like there's so many things that are a lot play a big role in our bedroom. And we don't really even think of them until you break it down. But I'd like to know from your perspective, what are the most important things to pay attention to in, in your bedroom? So the way I think about bedrooms is what I do is I break it down by the five senses, right? So sight, sound, touch, taste, and smell. Mm. And so when you go into your bedroom, if you can find one thing per sense to either shut down or be more sleep friendly, it's going to make a remarkable difference, right? So let's just roll through them real quickly so people have an understanding of what I'm talking about. So sight would be light, right? And that's the number one most important because we know melatonin can't be produced in the presence of light. So we want the bedroom to be dark. What does that mean? Maybe that means blackout curtains. Maybe that means an eye mask. Maybe that just means turning off the television earlier or not using a reading lamp. But whatever you can do to lower the amount of total light in your room, it's going to be better no matter what. The darker, the better. The data is very, very clear on that. But I will tell you one thing that happens to me is if I sleep in a room with blackout shades, I can't wake up. Like I'll sleep well past my normal wake up 22. Yeah. So, so I sleep with an eye mask on, especially when I travel. Um, and that still lets some of the light peek in underneath. So it's not too bad. Um, so mm-hmm. fair warning if you, uh, cause like I was, I was just traveling. I just got back from the middle East and you know, the sun is up really early there and it's really powerful and they have amazing blackout curtains. And I was planning on getting up at my normal 6.30 and going to work out. And all of a sudden I looked over and it was eight o'clock. My room was pitch dark. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. We were in Greece over the summer and they have these like metal. How do you explain it? It's like a a hurricane window. Oh, yeah. And you press a button and these like metal bars just come down (laughs) and it is like you cannot see anything in there. Like you can't it's, see your hand in front of your in face. In Europe, I think it's more of a thing than here, but I think we could yeah. use some of them. Sorry. Yeah, and we'll wake up at 1 p.m. in Europe. Yeah. And that's just because dinner <laughs> yeah. dinner starts later. Everything yeah. goes later in Europe. But yeah, that's that's an interesting point. I used to have blackout curtains in my room in New York. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I lost track of time in there. I would fall asleep really easily, but I had difficult time waking yeah. up. So I think it is a catch-22. Yeah. So I always tell people, if you're going to use blackout curtains, um, they actually now make a a curtain that has a little motor on it that will open at a particular time in the morning for you. Yeah. Or those, or those alarm clocks. I don't know what you think about. Yeah. The sunrise alarm clocks. Yeah. Yeah, I love the sunrise alarm clocks. I would argue they're probably the best alarm clocks out there 
just right. because it, it really helps wake you up naturally in a unique way, which a lot of times you don't get unless you're, you know, your, your windows open or, or what have you. So mm-hmm. th- I think that's a great idea, Nicole, is to add, like, if you're going to sleep in a room with blackout shades, either have an alarm or have a sunrise alarm clock to kind of get you going for sure. Nice. Sound would be next one. So we already talked a little bit about it. So snoring, right? That's a sound that's not too compatible with sleep. Um, And by the way, it's not just going to be your bed partner who potentially snores. There could be other creatures in your home that snore. I'm talking about animals like your dogs or your cats or what have you. So I have two bulldogs that sleep in the bed with us. (laughs) And man, are they loud. Um, But, you know, I'm used to it. So it's like it's not it's only disruptive if it's disruptive to you, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Right. And so a lot of times, like as an example, one of our bulldogs is not doing well from a health perspective and he snores. And I actually like hearing his snoring because I know he's alive and I know he's doing okay. So like that has now become the opposite for me. Like I used to be like, oh, this dog is driving me nuts. And by the way, he would crawl up in the middle of the night and put his head on my pillow, just to be clear. Okay, like that's what he does, which is adorable and cute until he does it every night, you know, for years. And you want to strangle your bulldog. I mean, I wouldn't strangle my bulldog. You know what I'm saying? So sound can be a big factor, right? So what do we do for sound? So um, earplugs is definitely a way to go. Um, Some people don't like the feel of earplugs. um, And so with those folks, sound machines can be quite effective. Um, I always tell people though, if you get used to a sound machine, you better make sure it's portable because if you go on vacation, like if you like to listen to a box fan and you go to the Bahamas and they ain't got no box fan, you ain't sleeping. sleeping. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. My sister travels with her. She brought it to Greece this summer and it was amazing. I use the white noise app because I'm also sensitive to sound. It's a free Mm -hmm. app. Guys, check it out. But it has like a million different sounds from rain, which is the one I like to ocean to fan. And mm-hmm. for me, it helps just block out random noises like yes. sirens or people honking on the street mm-hmm. that actually mm-hmm. will wake me up out of my deep sleep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's also something called the first night effect. So anytime you go to a place that you're not used to sleeping on a regular basis, your brain kind of stays on alert for the first night just to make sure that you're safe and all of that kind of stuff. So especially when you travel, having a little sound machine with you or just having an app on your phone um, can be a lifesaver. Believe it or not, they now make earbuds that you can sleep in because historically, you know, you'd have the string and so you'd think you get strangled. So Bose, believe it or not, makes sleep buds. Mm-hmm. And I tell you now, they're a little bit on the pricey side. They're like 399 bucks or something like that. But I got some, they're killer. I mean, these are awesome because they have the noise cancellation and the music on top of it. And you can sleep in them. And I'm a side sleeper. So I was kind of surprised. I was figuring like, oh, it's going to mash my ear down or it's going to hurt my, you know, uh, oral canal or something like that. No, I was I was actually quite surprised they worked well. Also, some people don't realize it, but just putting a little bit of cotton in your ears can actually work or even just putting the pillow on the side of your head can be helpful. Um, Other big things to do is raise somebody who's snoring up a little bit. Um, that pulls gravity out of the equation and that can make it easier. Um, my personal favorite is to create a pillow wall between you and the snorer. Okay. And so let me explain why this works so well is, uh, sound is a matter wave. And so if you put a physical barrier, it's just going to bounce back. 
So if he's snoring right next to you and you put a pillow right in front of his face, I mean, don't put it on his face, but you know, (laughs) in front of his face, then the sound wave is going to bounce back. And eventually he's going to turn to the opposite side and push that snoring away from you. So that can be helpful. And then, like I said before, decongesting is a big, big factor. So, you know, I I have nasal congestion almost year round. So I have Flonase. I use it once in the morning, once in, I'm not being paid by Flonase or anything like that, but just a nasal decongesting can be super duper helpful um, in the sound department um, as well. So we did sight, we did sound, let's do touch. So touch has to do with temperature, mattress, pillow, sheets, pajamas. So anything that touches your skin. So remember that the core body temperature cycle and the sleep cycle follow each other very, very closely. So our core body temperature rises, rises, rises till about 1030, hits a peak and then begins to drop. That dropping is a signal for our brain to release melatonin. It drops, drops, drops until about one o'clock in the morning, and then it turns back up and it starts to get warm again, right? And so anything that disrupts that uh, temperature process is going to mess with your sleep, right? And so, um, I mean, it would be fantastic if we had a blanket that could like track our body heat and make it go down and make it go up. There is one company that claims to have that kind of technology. It's mm. called Eight Sleep. It's a mm. it's got a mattress that they claim to do that. There's also another company called Chili um, Technology that has like a pad that you can make yourself cooler. I haven't seen anybody yet who's really done a fantastic job of meet matching people's circadian rhythms, but I think people are definitely making an effort out there to try. Um, and so for my menopausal women. I think it's definitely worth kind of taking a look at your pajamas make a big difference. Um, A lot of people don't realize that, but like the fun, cute pajamas, some of them are made of pure polyester. They have no breathability to them whatsoever. So you get really, really hot. So just because it looks good doesn't mean it's functional (laughs) as you might want it to be. It's definitely more geared towards me for sure. But the girls... But yeah, um, for what, sure. out of curiosity, what fabric is better, like a cotton? So cotton is really the best thing that you can have because you can get it at the at the softest uh, weave uh, as well as the softest type of cotton. There's all kinds. Um, I personally like the sateen finish because it's kind of silky, um, but it still about, allows for a good breathability. How about silk? Do you do you like uh, so silk? There's like the silk pillowcase trend. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So silk sheets are a pain in the ass because they're hard to wash. You have to iron them They're like linen, like they, they, they require quite a bit, but lately they've been creating these uh, pillowcases for women in particular that help with wrinkles um, and your hair and things like that. My wife has them, my daughter has them. So, um, and we've tried them out and honestly, they, they appear to make a difference. So I don't have a problem if your pillowcase if you want to do something like that, men or women, um, I think uh, it's it's actually quite comfortable. Um, my wife got me some, I got to use her ones that she was done with and I kind of like them. So now I have my own. Um, so the feel aspect can be important, right? Like be a little bit of a sheet snob. Like it's okay to want to sleep on decent sheets because remember something, you're sleeping on them every night, yeah. right? Like there's no, you don't have a piece of clothing that you wear every day for a week, you know, or two. Right. So it's depending upon when you change your sheets. So be thoughtful and, you know, spend a little bit of extra money on sheets that will last longer, that are a little bit more durable, that have good breathability to them. Um, pajamas the same way. Um, and a lot of people don't even sleep in pajamas. That's actually probably the best way to do mm-hmm. this is to sleep naked only from the standpoint of it's much easier to thermoregulate. 
when you add layers of clothes and then sheets and then comforters, it makes your body's job much more difficult. So just removing that layer can be helpful. Also, we're finally getting out of the summer. I mean, I know it's still hot in some places um, around the world, but um, now that um, at least here in the States, we're getting out of the summer, um, don't forget to switch over to a more uh, warm uh, sheets and comforters, like a lot of people keep the same one year round, probably inappropriate to do. Um, you can switch those out and kind of get a much better, um, situation on your hands. Nice. What is your favorite sheet company? Do you have one that you really like? You know, that's a great question. Um, I like Bolin Branch. Um, I think they do a great job. They also are big into the sustainability aspect. You know where your cotton is coming from with them. And I think they're the largest purveyors of um, natural cotton out there. So I like them. Uh, Brooklinen seems to do a decent job as well. Yeah, um, those are the yeah. two that I'm, I'm, fam I'm most familiar with, but I like both of them um, quite a bit. And how often would you say it's good to change your sheets? Because there's a little... Yep, there's a lot of controversy on this. Um, so I actually do this differently depending upon the seasons. So in the summertime, uh, we change our sheets a minimum of once a week, sometimes more than once a week. It all depends upon what we've been doing. Um, it's not like we get in bed sweaty or dirty, but we spend a lot of time outside um, so we bring in particulates. We're an active family. So I'd say one, a minimum of once a week during the summer and spring, and then probably once every week or two weeks, uh, we change the sheets out uh, for um, wintertime. If you have animals that sleep in your bed, you need to you need to just do it once a week. Um, animals bring stuff in on their paws all the time. They don't realize it. Then all of a sudden you got dirt in your bed or, or what have you. So um, I think that's probably reasonable. Also washing your pillow. Um, a lot of people don't wash their pillow. You should wash your pillow. Um, it definitely helps. It's got a lot of gross stuff in it that we kind of want to get out of there. Um, so it'll, it, it'll probably be better in the long run um, if you do that. You should be replacing your pillow if it's not like a uh, torn foam pillow um, about every 18 months to two years. Foam pillows will last you about three, three and a half years, depending on what you get. But as a general guideline, I'm usually replacing pillows fairly quickly. Okay. Um, from a taste perspective, um, what are you eating before bed is usually the kind of the big question. So what I do is I tell my patients to do what I call the three, two, one rule. So the three, two, one rule is stop alcohol three hours before lights out, stop uh, food two hours before lights out and stop fluids one hour before lights out. Make sure you go to the bathroom before you go to bed and you should be fine in terms of being able to kind of get through it all. I will tell you, and I hate to admit this, but sugar is not good to be eating late at night. It's not good in general, but it's really bad late at night. It actually slows down melatonin production. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, I hate to be the guy that says, you know, don't have dessert after dinner because that is my favorite part of the meal. Um, but generally speaking, you probably shouldn't have dessert alcohol as well. Um, lots of sugar in that, that has a dramatic effect on your sleep, your sleep cycles, things of that nature. So I'm always asking people to kind of think through what they're having for dinner. Um, and the dinner shouldn't be your biggest meal of the day. If you can avoid it, if at all possible, maybe have lunch, be your bigger meal and have dinner, be something a little bit lighter, anything that you can eat with omegas. Omega-3s in particular is going to be very positive for sleep. So salmon, fatty tuna, fish, all that kind of good stuff is going to be great for you for, for sleep. 
Um, so at, from a taste perspective, stay away from caffeine, obviously stay away from sugar, stay away from alcohol. And then the final one is smell. Um, and, um, this one gets controversial because people are like, I don't smell. What are you talking about? Everybody smells. Okay. Everybody has an odor to them, whether they like it or not. Um, and a lot of guys in particular will just sleep in their t-shirt and boxer shorts, as opposed to changing into fresh sleepwear. I really recommend that you change into fresh sleepwear. I mean, maybe you keep your underwear on and you just throw some pajamas on over the top of it type of thing. But look, you've been in your t-shirt all day long. While you don't smell it, your bed partner might, and or your sheets are going to start to smell like it. So do yourself that favor of doing something. Now, people always ask about aromatherapy. Does it really work? Believe it or not, there are two double-blind placebo-controlled studies showing that lavender and something called elang-elang are both um, a scents that you can put in your bedroom that can be helpful for sleep. But to be clear, you don't just sniff something and pass out, right? That'd be like mm -hmm. ether right? Or something along those lines. It's more you smell it and it causes a relaxation effect across your body. And then the natural sleep process takes over. I personally love diffusers and I used to have one in my bedroom. Um, it was a game changer. Lavender was my go-to, sometimes peppermint if I had a sinus issue uh -huh. and wanted to clear things up. Um, but it's a game changer. It's nice to have in your room and it creates a nice peaceful environment for bed. Yeah. And I'm glad you said um, diffuser, not candle right? So big, big thing here, fire and sleep don't mix. Okay. <laughs> so do me a favor and find a diffuser or one of those light bulb rings, you know, that you can put on the light bulb yeah. and you can put the oil on something like that, but you don't want anything that has to do with fire and you falling asleep. I know we touched on temperature of the body, but what about temperature of the bedroom? It's a great question. So there's three, well, there's three different temperatures you have to worry about. So there's your body temperature, there's the ambient room temperature, and then there's a microclimate underneath your sheets. Um, and here's what I'll tell you. Most people get hot because of humidity underneath their sheets. So I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but if you get really hot one night, if you just take your sheets, just open it like this and then close it like that once, you're fine after that. Or if you stick your feet out from under the covers, right, you cool down immediately because there's no hair on the bottom of your feet and your feet dissipate heat nicely that way. Um, but as a general guideline, I like to tell people somewhere between um, 68 and 72 degrees, somewhere in that low 70s, high 60s, that's a great ambient temperature for, for sleep. Um, you don't want to go much colder than 65 um, because then you start to shiver um, and then you can't get into REM sleep. So I know some people are like, it's wintertime and I leave the window open and I love it. You know, that's fine. If that's your gig, go for it. But as a general guideline, you just want to keep it somewhere in the 68 to 72 range. Nice. Nice. Yeah, that's that's helpful. We have it at 66 in our place, and it took me years to get Nicole down to that number. But over. our AC <laughs> is definitely not actually 66. I think it's more like 68, 69, yeah. which yeah. happens to be our sweet spot. And I do notice my sleep is better when I'm in a cool environment. If I'm Absolutely. hot and on vacation and, you know, the AC unit's weak in Europe or something like that, right. I just don't sleep as well. I have to sleep with no sheets or I don't sleep with a t-shirt and that's yep. my way of cooling down or putting a fan on, but it's, it's a game changer. Yeah. Temperature is a big deal. A lot of people don't realize it, but temperature and sleep are, are linked. If your body's hot, you're not going to sleep. Yeah. No one loves a, a hot room trying to get, <laughs> yeah. try to get to sleep. Everyone wants to be cozy and cuddled. Yep. You mentioned REM, so I have to ask because I feel like I get this all the time from clients. A lot of my clients have aura rings. 
it definitely gets you, yeah, def- definitely gets you thinking about these different scores and mm-hmm. and how things shake out. So I would love to hear. I guess you can go one by one, but like when your REM was low and your deep sleep's high or vice versa, I feel like people usually have one of those over the other, but what are your thoughts on that? Okay. So number one, no tracker is hundred percent accurate, right? So let's just get that out there, right? Um, when you, when you look at the head to head studies, Aura and Fitbit, uh, seem to be the best at telling you when you fall asleep, when you wake up and then the total amount of sleep time that you have in between. Um, after that aura, I think probably does the best job of the sleep staging, but you got to remember something. If you come into one of my sleep labs, I put 27 electrodes all over your body. I know exactly what's going on at any particular second. Well, if I've got an aura ring on, I get three data points, right? Versus 27. Um, and those three data points have to be manipulated with an algorithm just to get me to there. So accuracy is not always the thing to be super duper concerned about. What I tell people all the time is you want to look for trends. So as an example, if you have a client that turns to you and says, hey, I get 14 minutes of deep sleep every night. Is that a problem? The answer is no, it's not a problem. And let me tell you why. Because if it says 14 every single time, we know they're getting more than 14 minutes of sleep. It's just being consistently inaccurate. Okay. Mm -hmm. When we want, when we're concerned is when it says 14 and then it says 411 and then it says 275, then we, if it's, if it deviates from a set norm, that's what we're interested in is the Delta or the change from one to another. That's when we really want to say things like, Oh, okay. So you had, you know, normally you get 45 minutes of REM sleep. The last three nights, you've only gotten two minutes. What have you done differently? Oh, you're, you, you know, you're in Italy and you've decided to have espresso instead of regular coffee and you didn't realize how much caffeine it had. Okay, got it, right? Like that's that's kind of how we start to look at it that way. And here's the problem. It's very hard to stage, select and improve, right? So it's very hard to say to yourself, okay, I'm just going to improve my stage three, four sleep, or I'm just going to improve my REM sleep, right? There are some things that you can do for sure. Like, especially if you're doing things that uh, make those things a problem, right? So caffeine is a great example. So caffeine basically lowers REM sleep, not a ton, but enough. So if you have caffeine at, let's say five o'clock in the afternoon, you're probably going to have less REM sleep that night than you normally would have. Same with to do with alcohol. Alcohol pushes you into deep sleep very quickly, but then you get out of it fast and then you lose REM sleep. So again, starting to look at those different things. The easiest way to improve sleep overall is exercise um, on a regular basis, but you don't have to run a marathon. I'm talking about 20, 25 minutes. That's great to know. I remember in our last episode, you gave us your morning routine, which was incredible. You do breath work, (laughs) meditation, Wim Hof, play with the dogs, get sunlight. Awesome routine. I, I love it. And I do a lot of the same things, except we don't have dogs yet. We're working on that piece. Oh, nice. <laughs> but I would love to know about your bedtime routine being the sleep doctor. We got to know. Sure. So my bedtime routine is not as structured as my morning routine. Um, so what ends up happening? So now that both of our kids are away and in college, my wife and I are kind of a little bit more laissez-faire. It used to be much more structured, like Dinner was at, you know, 637 o'clock and, you know, got the kids doing their thing and blah, blah, blah. So now it's a lot less structured. So what my wife and I have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to have an earlier dinner than we normally would have, like 530, 6 o'clock ish. And then um, for me personally, 
I like to watch uh, some sports. Like I like to catch up on what's going on with my fantasy football and things like that. And then um, from there, I usually am reading um, and I like to read for about, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour um, before I go to bed. And then before bed itself, I like to stretch. And then, as I said before, my wife sleeps with both the dogs in the bed with the television on. So I end up putting a pillow on my head. The dog is right next to me. As long as he's snoring, I know he's alive. Everything seems to be pretty good. And I'm usually out cold by 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Um, I will admit that probably two to three nights a week, I have been caught sleeping on the couch. Um, my wife watches terrible television. I don't like the shows that she watches. So I end up watching my stuff and she ends up watching her stuff. And then sometimes I fall asleep on the couch and then she walks in and she taps me on the head and she's like, Hey, come on in. And so then I go back in the bedroom usually. So that's kind of our, our routine. So it's not as structured at night as it is, uh, during the morning time, but I want to be careful and let all of your listeners know that for, especially for folks who do have some level of sleeplessness, difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep, having a more structured evening routine is very, very important. So what I've done is I created a routine called the power down hour. So what I have people do is let's say your bedtime is 11, set an alarm for 10 o'clock and then take that hour and chop it up into three 20 minute segments. So 20 minutes for just stuff you got to do. So in our house, that used to be like finding shoes, sports equipment, you know, whatever was necessary for the kids, 20 minutes for hygiene, and then 20 minutes for some form of meditation, relaxation, reading. Um, for me, since I meditate in the morning times, I don't like to necessarily associate my meditation with sleep. And so I like to associate reading with sleep. <laughs> so I read before bed. That's just my thing. Some people... Uh, like to meditate before bed, but having that hour chopped up into those three 20 minute segments seems to work really well. And also for listeners out there who wear makeup, um, one thing to do is consider taking your makeup off earlier in the night, like right after dinner. A lot of people don't think about it, but at night they get in front of this mirror with all of these blue lights and there's, and they're, you know, cause you're trying to get the stuff out of your pores and all of that stuff. So I tell people, anybody who's wearing makeup after dinner, go into the bathroom, remove it all, because then you're not getting that huge dose of blue light at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night when you're trying to go to sleep. Yeah, that was a game changer for me is just getting my skincare done earlier. Yeah. Because if you're kind of getting sleepy and then you flick on the light in the bathroom, you're, you're done in like hospital lighting and right. you're waking up. So it can be a little bit different. Yeah. I want to go into some questions that our audience asked because there's some really sure. good ones here. So- we actually got this twice. People want to know how they can become a morning person. Some people <laughs> just don't feel up and, and chipper in the morning. So yeah. what, what's your take on that? Is I know that... we talked about chronotypes. That's that's a piece to it. Yeah. Yep. But like, yep. let's say you wake up at eight, but you want to get up at seven and you're a bear. That's like, mm -hmm. you know, within your chronotypes, mm -hmm. normal hours. Yep. Like, how do you, you know, wake up a little earlier? Okay. So this is the bane of almost everyone's existence. Okay. Is how do I successfully wake up, right? So there's a couple things to think about and we can get super technical or not. So let's start with the not technical and work our way to the technical, right? So one thing you could do is have an accountability partner, right? So turn to your bed partner and say, hey, wake my ass up at seven o'clock. That's what I want to have done. We practiced this today for the first time ever. <laughs> Nicole was like, I want to get up a little bit earlier. That's so funny. You just said that and yesterday. I was like, getting very frustrated because I've been waking up later. And I was like, Manali, 
I know I like to be cozy and stay in bed, but like, just give me a nice tap. And he's like, are you sure? <laughs> I'm like, I think so. I wanted full permission. <laughs> I so. Today I, I walked in super gingerly. Nice. I didn't sl- open the door loud. And I just ca- came and gave her, hey, like a little rub on the shoulder. Say, hey, it's time to get up. It was nice. It and I didn't yeah. blast the lights on and shock her body. It, it was right. very ginger and caring. And I yeah. think that's the way to go about it if you try this with your partner. For sure. Thing. Yeah. You, the last thing you need to do is get into a fight with your accountability partner. <laughs> Start to start, to start the day, right? It's right. No, no it's not a good way to start the day. the day, right? And then they'll just mess with you, right? They'll wake you up an hour early. They'll wake you up an hour late if you piss them <laughs> off. Like, it's not good. Yeah. So no, the easiest thing is accountability partner and an alarm. Um, other, th- other strategies are um, actually making appointments that you have to attend at earlier times in the morning. So you're not giving yourself a lot of time. So whether it's uh, you guys said you're thinking about getting an animal walking the dog at 7.30 sharp every day because you're meeting somebody else who's walking their dog or what have you. But finding an appointment or something most mornings for you. Um, the other good one is um, having a workout buddy at the gym that meets you at the gym, right? Because mm-hmm. they're going to be there and they're going to be pissed if you don't show up. So you better get your butt out of bed and show up type of thing. And so a lot of times that type of accountability partner, so it's at an appointment kind of forces you a little bit differently. Now, to be fair, yes, your chronotype has a lot to do with it. But if you're within your chronotypical swim lane and you're just trying to push yourself one way or another, a few other things to think about is what are you doing the night before? So if the less caffeine that you have on board, the deeper your sleep and the easier it's going to be for you to wake up, the less alcohol you have on board, the easier it is going to be for you to wake up as well. So stopping caffeine by 2 p.m., stopping alcohol at least three hours before bed, um, exercising the night before, all of these things have a tendency to allow you to wake up and feel good when waking up. Um, A lot of people take supplements in the middle of the night or use cannabis or um, sleep aids or things like that, sometimes that's going to make it very difficult for you to wake up in the morning time, right? So if you were working with your doctor and you're taking a sleeping tablet, like let's say Ambien, and you're trying to wake up a half an hour earlier than you normally do, you're going to want to talk to your doctor about that because they may need to change the dose um, or the timing of the administration. So that way uh, it's easier for you to wake up. Um, and that's another easy thing to do is if you normally took your sleeping pill, let's say at 930 or your ashwagandha or whatever you were taking uh, melatonin, if you take it at 930, usually um, taking it at 830 would allow the whole process to move a little bit earlier. Um, and that's the other thing is you could actually use melatonin if you were really like if you really wanted to get technical about it, we could use melatonin and light to help you out. And the big thing to do is when you wake up in the morning, get as much light as you possibly can. So even if that's walking outside, you know, in your pajamas, um, just to get some sunlight in the morning, it will absolutely help you. Um, The other big thing, and this is not fun, but I do it anyway, is cold showers or cold plunges. Um, Yeah. That, I mean, that will wake your butt up. You no know? chance you're going back to sleep after a cold plunge. <laughs> yes. No way. <laughs> no way. I So I I usually hit the sauna almost every day. And then I do a super cold shower afterwards. And it really makes a difference in my overall alertness level, like by a lot. Love mm, it. Those are a lot of great tips. One, one thing that I like that works for me is the, mm. um, it's an alarm that I use. It's called Sleep Cycle. It's a free yep. app. And it gently wakes you up within about a 30 minute window of when you set Mm -hmm. your alarm based on your breathing and the noise that you're making. So it wakes you up when you're in your light sleep versus deep sleep. 
It's been a game changer for me. I've been using it for like five years. And like, let's say I set my alarm at 7.30. It'll wake me up between 7 and 7.30 based on when I'm most in my lightest stage of sleep. So for me, I wake up feeling refreshed and I don't get yanked out of my deep sleep. Also, a side note, the alarm sound that comes from that app is super soothing and gentle and it gradually gets louder. So it doesn't just like jolt you out of your sleep. Right. I can't imagine a worse way than waking up to the iPhone alarm that I used to wake up to every day. Like it's stressful. Like I I think it's. Yeah. Also, if your partner gets up at a different time than you, then their alarm goes off, which is really annoying. Yeah. Um, They do make um, earbuds now that attach to your alarm clock. So only you hear the alarm. So years ago, I was like, that'd be such a good invention if someone could figure out how to Mm-hmm. separate the alarms because I always get complaints from clients about that. But the earbuds, a good, a good call. Yeah. The Bose um, ones that I was talking about before, they have an alarm built in. So you can actually only set it for the Bose and it'll wake you up with whatever music you want at whatever time you want. That's nice. Yeah. Um, I saw one alarm clock that would cook bacon for you. I've <laughs> seen that. That's insane. <laughs> They're going to get really nifty. Well, by the time we have kids, they're going to yep. be sleeping so well. They're not going to have to do oh, what yeah. we had to do. It's, the alarm clock's going to be making breakfast and packing their bags and doing their homework. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's one that makes coffee for you. So. Oh my, that's crazy. It's that's pretty nuts. Another question we got a lot was just around cuddling, or I guess oh. this falls under touch, but you yeah. know, for us, we like a nice little cuddle and then we part ways and we separate and mm-hmm. that's that. And we don't. There's no part of us that touch throughout the night, but does that affect your sleep? I'm guessing if you're touching or what's your take? So it's interesting is um, it's different for men versus women. So um, men sleep better with somebody in the bed. Women sleep better without somebody in the bed. Truth comes out. Feels like the opposite for me. So it's, it's, it's very interesting. Um, But I mean, most people have kind of got it. It really, honestly, it boils down to heat. Right. And so if you're a hot natured person, you don't want somebody who's on you or spooning or cuddling or yeah. whatever. That's my so, thing. I get yes. overheated, start sweating within 30 seconds, and then I kind of gently push her off when she's asleep. <laughs> yeah. And that's the best way to do it. The only problem is, is if you get your arm trapped, right? So you're spooning and she's falling asleep here and now you're done. Yeah. Right. Because there's yeah. nothing you can do. You're like you tug a little, you tug a little, and then all of a sudden your back hits the wall, or you know, it's awful. Someone showed me a hack for that because that's a great position. It's super comfortable and until your arm falls asleep, is to put right. a pillow underneath this armpit, a small uh, little pillow, and it gives you just enough room to take it out when you need to. Nice. Sometimes yeah, like I'll just leave like a big toe or like a finger on him just to yeah. like have that contact. But for the most part, we say separate. So it, it is better to be separate. I'm guessing. Um, I'm not sure if it's better or if it's worse or it's just a personal preference. But um, what I would tell you is, is that people definitely have a preference. Um, Almost everybody has some preference. Like for a long time, I used to like to have my foot touching my wife just to know that she was there. And then, I mean, we've been married for 23 years. Now (laughs) I don't, I mean, I know she's there. Now you trust her. (laughs) Right. Like I'm not that worried anymore. So I think it changes over time. Um, but I've never seen any data one way or another, except when it comes to temperature and that some people who are warm sleepers definitely do not like anybody touching them while they sleep. Okay. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Another question. And this is actually a personal one for me too. What's your All thoughts right. on dreams and nightmares? Because I get yeah. nightmares a lot and mm-hmm. 
I've worked through it, but it's definitely hindered my sleep and has made sleep enjoyable. So what's going on there? Why does that happen? Okay. So this is a big question and we're it's going to take a little bit to unpack this. So you hit me at the perfect time because uh, this month I'm starting a new educational, academic educational coursework on uh, dream work, dream therapy. Wow. Fact. So, and I was never trained in this as a sleep specialist. So this is something brand new. Um, so this is a Jungian trained psychotherapist who really uses dreams to help further the therapeutic process. So this is not dream interpretation. This is not, you know, I I, I was sleeping underwater. I was, uh, I was swimming underwater. So I hate my mother type of thing. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about like what's really going on because a lot of emotional processing occurs during a dream, right? And so when you said nightmares, so for folks out there who want a distinction, a nightmare is distinguished from a bad dream by the fact that you wake up and you're kind of in a panic. Like mm-hmm. you're, you understand that you understand the content in which you've been dreaming and it's scary. Usually a night terror is different. A night terror is where you just sit up, you yell and scream, and then you fall back asleep and you have almost no recollection of it. Oh yeah. This happens. It's with happened. No, it ha- it's happened with us, right? Yeah. It's happened with you. Yeah. Yeah. She'll, she'll blurt out. something out. She'll like say a few words and it's like gibberish. And I wake up, I'm like, who, who's she talking to three in the morning? Right. And then she doesn't, she doesn't recall it. She'll the next day I'll be like, what were you saying last night? And she'll be like, no I, idea, I yeah. didn't say anything. What are you talking about? Crazy. No. So that's closer to a night terror than a nightmare. People who have nightmares have night terrors. So these, this all falls into the category of parasomnias. Um, and if you've got one, you have a proclivity for having a bunch. So lucky you, Nicole, you get as many as you want. Nice. Um, <laughs> Here's the thing is the more sleep deprived you are, the more likely those situations are to occur, right? Mm -hmm. So if you follow a consistent schedule, lower your caffeine, you know, decrease alcohol and have just good general sleep health, the frequency of those should go down pretty significantly. All right. So Mm -hmm. that's number one. Number two is there is this thing called dream therapy where you actually sit with a qualified dream therapist. And basically what they do is they create a safe space for whatever the content is of your nightmare. So let's say you're being persecuted by somebody, right? So then she creates this safe space and then has you think through, imagine every single detail of what's going on. And then she walks you through, okay, what happens next? Okay, what happens next? You're not actually dreaming, you're awake, but you're kind of in a subconscious state, like your eyes are closed, the room isn't dark, but you're kind of like in that more ethereal kind of dream-ish state, not quite asleep. And then you just keep processing through and they, you know, the therapist is like, okay, so what happens now? Like this person tries to kill me. Okay, are they successful? No. Okay, so what happens then? Who is this person? This person is, you know, my long lost uncle who I didn't know anything about before, but it looks like they they were not nice to me, whatever, right? So you just keep walking down the path and they actually process the emotions that they were having at night with the help of a therapeutic guide. And that's what dream therapy is. Um, I was immune to it. I didn't even know it existed for long, long periods of time. When we're in school, we're taught about REM sleep. What does it do? Why do you dream? We don't exactly know. We think it's part of that emotional processing plus the the memorial component. So we think it's not just moving information from your short-term memory to your long-term memory, but it's also if something bad happens to you, you sleep 
through it and it helps you process the emotions associated with it. So there's really two big things that seem to be going on. And for some people, it's stressful, right? We've all got stressful lives and sometimes that comes out in our dreams. So if you're having regular nightmares or you're having regular dreams that are stressful, it's probably worth bringing it up to your therapist if you do have a therapist and just talking through what is the content because the dream is trying to give you a hint mm. as to what might be bothering you or going on. Dreams are really, they speak in metaphors. So it, it's like, it's not necessarily like, there's something super bad happening, but it's more like you're driving your car down the road and all of a sudden your third grade teacher is on the side and then, you know, you keep driving and now, you know, somebody from your past is over there. What they're trying to tell you is, is there's something that has to do with your past, right? So there's a metaphor kind of going on there. So don't necessarily worry about the specifics of the dream, um, but see if you can work through it. There's also now a, a dream I can't remember what it's called, but basically what you do is you write down mm. every aspect of the dream that you can remember. And then when the ending is bad, like the bad guy gets you, you change the ending so that mm. you're victorious. And then you read the new ending. You read the entire dream with the new ending four or five times before you go to sleep. After about 21 days, you change the dream. Cool. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. I've seen like dream journals online before, but... Mm -hmm. What an interesting study. I'm sure there's like so much to learn about it. And yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited about it. Also, I think it's a, it's a kind of a unique tool for the therapeutic process, you know, because normally when I'm doing therapy with people for insomnia or depression or things like that, um, we have kind of a set way of doing it and we don't do a lot of work with their dreams, but I think there's a lot of good, rich content in there that could be helpful as well. So I'm excited to learn more about it. We'll see what happens. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. We'll squeeze in one more question from the audience. Right. What are your thoughts on naps? I'm a big fan of naps unless you're in an insomniac. So if you've got insomnia and you have a hard time sleeping at night, don't please don't nap during the day because you're going to lower your sleep drive and you're just not going to be able to sleep at night. Mm -hmm. But let's say you only got five hours of sleep last night. You need the escape hatch uh, of an, of a 20 minute nap during the daytime. There are lots of types of naps. Me personally, I never take more than a 20 to 25 minute nap just because it's so hard to wake up afterwards. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you nap like shit. Yeah. It's awful. So 20 minutes is good or 90 minutes, which we think is about a full sleep cycle seems to be good as well. So, um, I, I like, I'm personally a 25 minute napper, um, it works really well for me. Sometimes I'll even take uh, what's called a nap -a latte or a caffeine nap where I slug a cup of coffee, then I take my nap. And when I wake up, I'm on fire. I'm ready to go. I've seen that formula somewhere on one of your presentations. How do you fall asleep with caffeine in your system? So you're at the point that you're doing it, you're so tired. The caffeine, it takes a good 20, 25 minutes for the caffeine to kick in. So what you do is you slug it and then you close your eyes immediately. You don't like hang wow. out, wait around, just close your eyes. And if you sleep, you sleep. If you don't, you don't. It doesn't matter. Just being away from all the stress and all the energy is going to be a positive thing for you. For sure. Which is essentially like non-sleep deep rest, which we've talked about on our last episode, right? Even exactly. just closing your eyes, relaxing, disconnecting, not actually falling asleep, but listening to a meditation or some totally. chill music for 10, 20 minutes has the positive, some of the positive benefits of sleep. And remember folks, like the big thing I tell people all the time is sleep really falls into two distinct categories. There's discipline and then there's acceptance, right? So discipline is all the fun things we've been talking about. 
you know, sleep with your feet out from under the covers, sleep naked, change your sheets, you know, all these little tricks and tips that you can do. But at the end of the day, sometimes nothing works. Um, and that's okay, right? I always give the example of my daughter. So my daughter was going through something a couple of summers ago, a boyfriend issue, whatever. And she was super upset. I did everything right, but I couldn't sleep to save my life. Why? Because I was upset because my daughter was upset, right? Like shit happens. So sometimes you just have to say to yourself, okay, it looks like I'm probably not going to get a great night's sleep tonight. My head's not going to pop off. Like nothing absolutely terrible is going to happen. I'm just going to lie here and relax. If I happen to fall back asleep, great. I know my alarm is set, so I won't oversleep and just accept it. Yeah, That turns out to be incredibly helpful because once you accept it, that anxiety starts to lower Then the natural sleep process, if it's still around, will be, can kind of take back over. And sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes you're up from three o'clock in the morning on. I've had that. I had that happen to me probably once in the last six months for absolutely no reason. It just sometimes yeah. your body just kind of gets all wonky. That's okay. Like, listen to your body. If your body wants to be up, let it be up. <laughs> your body wants to be down, let it be down. For sure. And like you said in the last one, you know, when you wake up sometimes in the middle of the night, you look at the phone, you see it's three in the morning, and then your cortisol spikes, right? So straight up. Absolutely. And I mean, again, you've had bad nights before. Okay. It's not like again, your head's not gonna pop off, right? The world isn't coming to an end. I swear, like it might you might think that it is, but I promise you it's not. Yeah, yeah and so, you can always take a nap the next day. Exactly. So again, you've always got an escape hatch. Right. And so sleep is something that is controllable. It is something that people can control. You just have to have good sleep, uh, you know, habits, some level of consistency in your wake up time, lowered caffeine consumption, lowered alcohol consumption. Notice I didn't say eliminate caffeine or eliminate alcohol or eliminate cannabis. Like I'd be stupid to say that because people want to have a good time or people want to enjoy their coffee. And I don't have a problem with it. Just understand the consequences to your sleep and make sure it doesn't mess up your sleep too much. Yeah. 80-20 or maybe 90 Exactly. Exactly. So much good info. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Can people work with you? How's your yeah, practice yeah. work? So I have a very small concierge practice, but if people are interested... Um, they can reach out. What I'll do is I'll give you guys uh, my private email and then people can send an email there and then my assistant will schedule something. Um, like I said, I only have about five to seven patients at a time. Um, and I usually reserve that for people who have some pretty significant difficulty, um, whether it's trying to come off of a sleeping pill or they've not slept well for years or things like that. My specialty is insomnia, but I can do just about anything. Um, but for, for most people, um, that's kind of how it works is just, I get an email or if you go to the sleep doctor website, you can email me there. Um, and I'm always happy to answer questions or, you know, potentially do a consult. Great. And you have some sleep labs in LA. So I work with sleep laboratories in LA and we just started offering something new on my website, which I'm kind of excited about is we can actually send a sleep test to your home and test you for sleep apnea in your house. So you don't have to go to the lab. You don't have to worry about all those electrodes and things like that. So that's oh, cool. something that you can order straight from my website now. We're partnered with a group called iSleep, which is a group of sleep physicians all over the country. And so we send these units out um, and they're they're small. They, you wear them on your wrist and your hand and that's it. And um, you wake up the next day and you know whether or not you got sleep apnea. So it's kind of cool. And um, the Sleep Doctor Instagram has a lot of great easy tips and tricks. So definitely check him out there as well. 
we do a lot of that. Um, also YouTube, we just, uh, we just doing, started doing YouTube and we're doing pretty well there with a couple of videos. So if you want to see a really good video about how to fall back to sleep, I've got stuff there. And then TikTok, I, I didn't even know what TikTok was a year ago. And now I've got over a million whatevers on it somehow. So. That's amazing. I <laughs> That's love awesome. that. Thank awesome. you so much Thank for coming you. on. Hopefully we get some good sleep tonight. <laughs> Yeah, I hope so too. I hope you're. I'm glad to hear your nose is uh, better and you got the stents out. Hopefully, Nicole, you don't. You won't have to kick him off to the couch. I'm. I'm gonna sleep like a baby. I know it. He will. <laughs> <laughs>